Hi there, and welcome to Deal Reporter Asia's weekly podcast, where we discuss the week's hottest situation in Asia event-driven investing. Today is 14th of June. I am Annette Johnson, uh, Associate Editor of Deal Reporter, and with me here in the studio is... Ed Vinales, uh, Editor of Deal Reporter. For those of you who haven't heard of Deal Reporter, we produce news and data covering mergers and acquisitions for event-driven hedge funds. Deal Reporter Asia has been covering public M&A in the region for over 10 years, and we've now entered the podcast world to give you a taste of the deals, companies, and trends that we are following. You can find out more about us on dealreporter.com. Well, here in Hong Kong, the headlines in the mainstream media this week has been dominated by protests against the amendment of the extradition bill. Yes, um, I'll jump in there, Annette, um, just because I was down on the down on the ground, as it were, on Wednesday afternoon after work. Um, so this was uh, a couple of days after the Sunday mass uh, protest, the mass march, where a million. Uh, took to the streets. Um, the notable thing there was that that demographic was uh, very different to Wednesdays, which was mainly students, and they managed to um, they managed to uh, have the second reading of the bill postponed. And unfortunately, uh, late in the evening, it obviously got very heated, um, and lots of pictures in the news regarding tear gas, etc. Anyway, why is this uh, relevant to investors? Because it comes at a very difficult time for Beijing with the US-China trade war. Um, and obviously, having being undermined on its doorstep is, 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 is not ideal for the Communist Party at the moment. And they're going to have to tread very carefully. And we don't know how these things can unravel. Um, so we may be set for some disturbances in Hong Kong over, over the summer period. Interesting. Uh, I understand there has also been some further development on, uh, or some other development, perhaps I should say, on US-China relations that might have a more direct impact on mergers and acquisitions. Yeah, this is quite interesting. Um, Senator Marco Rubio um, has introduced a uh, bill in, in, in the US that proposes to delist companies that don't open their audit books to US regulators. This is clearly and very openly targeted at Chinese US listed companies. Um, and in fact, interestingly, uh, Alibaba Group last week, I think it was last week, acknowledged the heightened concern of the Securities and Exchange Commission and the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board, that's the PCAOB, regarding the PCAOB's um, inability to inspect auditors in China. And this bill, which if uh, passed into legislation, um, is designed to mark a three-year countdown in which Chinese companies um, are removed from the, the US stock exchange. And of course, that's interesting to us because of the delist, relist trend that we see a lot of Chinese ADRs over the past few years seeking to go private and execute some exchange um, arbitrage and relist at far higher multiples in, um, in on the mainland or in Hong Kong, Chihu being one example, 
the antivirus software company, um, delisted at $10 billion in the US and is now trading at, uh, relisted at $50 billion, uh, but now trading around $25 billion. The thing to note here, I should, um, and I don't want to go on too long, is that in the past, uh, you know, there's been noises around these sort of bills being introduced in the past, but um, various commentators have said, look, you know, in the, in the context of the current uh, U.S.-China uh, trade war, you know, this bill this time looks like seriously serious chance of becoming legis legislation. Yeah, okay, sorry. So um, maybe we can move now straight, talk to, about some deals, Annette, Australia. I think you've got a few to talk about. Yeah, there's been, uh, as, as always, it's been uh, fairly active in Australia this week. Uh, among other things, uh, we saw the ACCC, the Competition Authority, uh, come out with a statement of issues uh, against uh, the nutrients acquisition of Ruralco, that is in the agricultural services space. The ACCC had some concerns about the combination of the two companies. Uh, now this is not viewed by our sources as particularly serious at this stage. Um, they believe that they're going to be able to get around this, but uh, this could have some implications uh, for the timetable of the deal where the EGM that is currently set for the 17th of July looks uh, fairly likely to be postponed uh, until sometime later. Uh, at this point, the ACCC has said that it will make a final decision on the 15th of August. Uh, perhaps more interesting, though, um, AGL, the um, Australian utility company, came back with a renewed bid for Vocus, the telecom company. Yes, I was going to say, th so this now marks the fourth bidder for Vocus in the yeah, you may recall that uh, just a few weeks ago, Vocus received a bid from Swedish private equity firm EQT Partners, and that was uh, then the third private equity firm to make an indicative bid for the telecom company. Um, two previous private equity firms, KKR and Affinity, looked yeah. at this, looked at the um, assets in 2017, but walked away after doing due diligence. So their, their bids, I mean, obviously a lot's changed since then, but their bids came at something like $3.50 per share, and now the EQT bid came out of the blue... Yeah, EQT was uh, bidding an indicative 525. Now, they were granted non-exclusive due diligence but walked away after just over a week of looking at the books. Which is uh, worrying. Which could indicate that they realized that they had perhaps offered a little bit too much and may or may not have found something they were they felt were just not right for them. AGL um, said at around the time of the EQT uh, offer, indicative offer, that it too had looked at Vocus, but had decided to withdraw its bid as it could not um, agree on uh, due diligence terms. Now, our, high, right? now our sources said that it was actually a price issue and that they could not, they were not comfortable with a bid at 525. Now, this week, AGL has returned with a bid 
an indicative bid at 485, and our sources are telling us that this is the same level as they had indicated when seeking due diligence right. access the first time around. A few weeks previously or so. That's correct. What's interesting um, is the market is, and perhaps not surprisingly, is a little bit uncertain about even this latest bid, which is the first one to come from a strategic. Um, and it clearly that seems to indicate there's an opportunity here for the brave, arguably, investor. Yeah, that's correct. And um, and uh, the former executive, a former executive and the founder of uh, Vocus, James Spensley, has, has said that ADL as a strategic should have a far better chance of success than PE firms. Uh, because simply because of the industrial logic of cross-selling AGL's utility right. assets right. to uh, or utility services to Vocus's telecom customers, and vice versa. Any so if there is if the deal is to unravel, or sorry, when I say deal, it's obviously indicative at the moment. I think we've got a four week due diligence period. But if the deal is to fall down, how might it? Uh, you know, which regulators are most exposed to? Well, since AGL is a domestic bidder, um, there is no foreign investment approvals needed here as someone like KKR, Affinity or EQT would have needed. Uh, here it's all about uh, a potential antitrust concern. Uh, but because the overlapping businesses are so small, uh, the our sources do not believe that that should be uh, much of a concern. Right. So yeah, um, and I think I've seen I've seen some suggestions that, um, that potentially if they do, they're probably going to be prepared to divest some small bits and pieces to get this deal done. Yeah, they they have uh, ADL has been given four weeks exclusive right. due diligence at this stage, so we will continue to monitor and see how that plays out. Yeah, and it's exclusive, unlike the EQT, which was. So there's slight term differences here. So that's an interesting situation, and there's lots of upside and, of course, downside in that one. Um, Meanwhile, we've seen, we mentioned EQT, who had uh, decided to walk away from Vocus. Now, this morning, there were stories in the Australian press saying that EQT may actually be eyeing Helios, which is a healthcare provider that you may recall earlier this year received an indicative approach from Chinese company Jiangho. Uh, that bid was at 325, um, and the board rejected that. Um, EQT might now be coming into the coming into the fray here. Uh, together with what we're hearing is a number of other private equity players who might also be circulating um, the Helios assets. Right. Okay. So that's the and that's the um, that's that's got a China outbound angle as well. Yeah, Helios uh, is is clearly. I mean, investors are clearly anticipating something to happen around Helios before Younger made his bid in early January. The stock was trading as two twenty three. It has. It is currently, even though the board rejected that offer, uh, it's up forty one percent since then, and is currently trading at three fifteen. Remember that Jungher bid was at three twenty five, so it's not very far from there. And it seems that investors are clearly um, 
speculating, anticipating, or hoping that something will play, come come about here. Okay, so shall we? Um, obviously, there's other situations in Australia we'd like to talk about, but we feel we're running short of time. Um, so discussion on Avio can be left till. Uh, next week perhaps um yeah i think we need to uh there's some developments in japan uh, the, to keep an eye on for next week in particular yeah i think that's that's right um now i'm going to get the pronunciation of this wrong but i will try anyway um it is actually i will stop there there's something else i wanted to flag annette that was emailed to me by our colleagues in the u.s recently it was a kkr presentation on Partly, part of which was on Japan. Um, and this will fit in with uh, a couple of the situations we're just going to discuss. KKR came out, um, I think, this last week uh, with a um, presentation on its, its PE investments globally. And one of them, it talked about Asia and in particular Japan, um, where it said KKR has completed five of the seven largest corporate carve-outs in Japan. Um, and these investments you may recall or, or, or deal reporter and merger market have, have written about Hitachi Kokusai, Calsonic Kansai, Panasonic Healthcare, Hitachi Koki, and others. One other, uh, Pioneer, Pioneer DJ. Now, these, the average, the average subsequent EBITDA growth over the first 18 months following these deals was 24%. Um, so this whole presentation is basically about the opportunity around PE investments in Japan at the moment. And that very much ties in with um, uh, the feeling now in Japan or globally towards Japan that Japan is changing. The corporate governance picture in Japan is changing. Um, and we've heard this all before. But I'm going to say it this time it's different. Um, and essentially what we're seeing is um, Abe's policies come through and these policies are very much directed uh, towards corporate governance reform in Japan and we're definitely seeing greater investments in Japan and this ties in with what KKR is seeing and the, and the returns that they are making from some of these carve-outs uh, from conglomerates in Japan that are realizing that they need to sell off non-core assets, uh, acquire overseas for growth, and all these sort of things. And it's all wrapped up around this sort of developing corporate governance um, picture. Um, and with that in mind, um, I will get to the uh, situation that we have, which is the Kyushu Railway. So this Friday, um, Kyushu Railway will be holding an AGM at which U.S. activist Fur Tree Partners has um, made a proposal uh, with regards to um, putting forward a nom uh, certain nominee directors, I think three of them, um, and for the, for the company to pay a, a large uh, share buyback. This is uh, one of a number of events coming up and, and situations that we're looking at and following, but we think this could be a particularly interesting one um, and a lot of attention being focused on Japan at the moment in respect of events such as these and, and other M&A deals that have been brought about by this corporate governance uh, drivers. All right, I think that's bring an end to this week's uh, edition. Um, thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next week.